So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> you should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock-up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is... Do more good. Yeah! Right, here we are, James. The episode from the IOF conference in Scotland. How are you doing? I'm good. How's your head? My head's okay. Yeah. My throat is a little bit hoarse, as you yeah. might be able to hear. How about those dancing feet? You were putting them through well, their paces last know. night. You know. That's what it's all about, isn't yeah. it? Coming to these conferences. That dance floor. Well, that's impressive. what I'd, I'd, I'd like to think. Yeah. How's the Louis through uh, standing work going? We should probably we should probably explain that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you put a photo of me up on on Twitter, and it's spread throughout. Uh, <laughs> it's gone viral. I look like Louis viral. Theroux. Well, you did look like Louis Theroux Everyone a little bit. Everyone just laughs in my face. It's uh, yeah, it's I been do. a humbling experience. Nothing. Not that there's anything wrong with Louis. Big fan. No, absolutely. Yeah. But it's been a great couple of days, right? It has. Yes, we've been rushed off our feet, really. Going yeah. to different sessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What's been the main takeaway for you so far? I've enjoyed, and I think I mentioned this on the previous one, that it has all felt quite supportive this year. That that's been my my theme throughout all of the, the talks. That yeah. um, it's people looking out for each other. It's a tough time in the sector. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's been quite nice. How about you? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think also just the personal development focus here has been probably something that i haven't seen before yeah you know we've been to a couple of sessions one about presenting one about kind of putting your message across with impact and i don't know whether that's kind of a common thread that we're seeing through a lot of conferences now but i think that's just good that people should think about how do they develop themselves also you know how do you get those skills how can you be a better communicator how can you be a better planner doer all of those kind of things so yeah i think that's been one of the kind of key takeaways themes for me but it's been good fun yeah it's been good fun and we've got a good episode we have. So a couple of people whose careers have really progressed, possibly from going to those personal development sessions. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? Let's get on with the intros. So our first guest this week, James, spent her early career in high fashion retail, following which she moved into the not-for-profit sector in 1993. I think we need to ask her more about that. After working for a number of charities throughout her early career, including time at the British Red Cross and the Museum of London, our guest went on to hold director roles at Museum of Docklands and the RNID before moving into freelancing work in 2007. And not long after that, she joined Think Consultancy as a senior consultant working her way up to Managing Director in 2015. She now leads Think Consultancy, working with both international and UK clients to deliver on their organisational objectives and have more impact. So we'd like to welcome Michelle Chambers to the Do More Good podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. No worries. And our next guest, Kenneth, has a wide experience of senior leadership, fundraising and marketing success over 25 years including philanthropy, major giving, corporate partnerships, events, regional fundraising, volunteer management, and fundraising strategy. Listed in Fundraising Magazine's 25 Most Influential in 2018, she's a strong, passionate fundraising development professional and has led several pioneering fundraising initiatives within the UK and internationally. 
She is now the Executive Director of Philanthropy and Partnerships at Cancer Research UK, the world's leading charity dedicated to beating cancer through research. Welcome Francis Milner to the Do More Good podcast, the Kylie or the Beyonce of the conference world. <laughs> oh, a bit of both, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you better give some background to that now. Well, this, is who we, this is who we've got with us today. So they've been, they've been on tour around the conferences, <laughs> Build as Beyonce and Kylie. We love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I before we... Sorry. No, sorry, Michelle. I think Francis has to be Kylie. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll don't think I can pull that one off. I'd never... I'd probably get a frock on it, one, of, one of her frocks on my arm, wouldn't <laughs> I? Anyway. Well, I do have some gold hot pants. <laughs> which which I'm very pleased you're wearing today. I'm saying <laughs> no more. I'm saying no more. That'll be for IOF 2020, the gold hot pants. <laughs> Well, that was the introduction I wasn't expecting, but <laughs> there we go. So thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate your time. We like to think of the Do More Good podcast, hopefully giving those who are listening some insight into people's careers, their journeys, and hopefully give them some advice that they can take on. Can you just both talk us through your early career and kind of what led you to here? If Francis, would you mind going first? Yeah, so I think, well, I started my career, actually, I had a bit of a false start. And I often say to people when I talk about my career, fail fast. So early in your career, when you know, actually, that you're in a job that you really hate, get out quickly. And for me, I started my career in banking after university, realised very quickly it was a total disaster. And uh, I saw a job advert in the Yorkshire Evening Post, as one did in the uh, 90s, to be a fundraising assistant for the Imperial Cancer Research Fund. And sadly, I'd lost my father to cancer when I was very young and I just looked and I thought my goodness you know I'd fundraised all my life this is the job for me and everybody said I was mad you're giving up a fabulous graduate trainee program but I just knew it was for me and I remember the first day of working in the Imperial Cancer Research Fund office talking to the supporters talking to the fundraisers and I totally fell in love with it and from that moment on that's really stayed with me through my career so that that first day and that first feeling and insight over the last 25 years has really really stayed with me the clarity of having that first day and knowing you're doing the right thing must be nice and Michelle, what about yourself? I mean, we, we touched on there that you had the high fashion was at the I start did, of your career. I did, There was actually a, a brief episode before that. So when I graduated, I worked for a brief time for a local authority. I came out of university and I thought, oh, I'm going to do all this social good. And I was there about six or seven months, at which point they told me, oh, you're ready to be promoted. And I was like, fabulous. And they were like, but we can't promote you for another two years because if we promote you, everybody will have to have a pay rise in the team because that's the way it works. And I was like, I think I'm going to leave. So I then shot to the other extreme and went to work for Topshop in their buying office which was a fabulous fun 22 years old based over the Topshop in Oxford Circus I don't know if you know nice, it yeah, but yeah, Oxford yeah. Circus the buying office was ba- nobody in the buying office was over 40 so it was a very young environment I mean you just didn't stay there very young environment and I loved it and I learned so much about business basically mm. but towards the end of my time there I was going for the ultimate promotion and and I kept not getting it, and I was I was told the last time I went for it and didn't get it, you're never going to make it because you're too focused on the people, Mish, and not on the profit. And I was like, <laughs> but we don't have any profit without the people. And they were like, well, you're too focused on them, so it's never going to work for you. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm 27, and I'm going to have to do something different. Um, and that was when I then started to look for jobs in the charity sector because I felt that would be a better fit for me. Yeah. So I then got a job at the British Red Cross in their retail and trading team, Four months into that job, my boss said to me, the reason why you're going to be really successful in the sector 
is that you actually have a real good focus on the profit, on, on the net profitability, <laughs> as well as being great with the people. And mm. I was like, and that's absolutely what was not going to make it for me in the commercial world. So that that's lesson for me really early on is you have to be totally authentic to who and what you are. And actually, it's not you that's wrong. It's the setting that you've got yourself in that's wrong because the same person in a different setting can fly. And I've been very fortunate from that time onwards that I had lots of opportunities to fly and advance and move up and do a whole range of different jobs. The move into the heritage sector. So I was with the Museum of London, Museum of Docklands for five, six years. Mm. Um, when I went there was a, was a dream job because I've got a history degree. Yes. So it was an absolute dream job. And, and I had a great time there and we did some great things and we opened a new museum, Museum in Docklands. But towards the end of that time, I, I was... I, I felt I wanted to go back to mainstream charity, which is why I then moved to RNID. Right. Okay. And then decided that actually I wanted to work with lots of charities, not just with one. So I became freelance mm. and then went to Think. And you've been doing that for how long now? Did you say sorry? So I've, I had, I've been working partly freelance since 2005. Right, okay. I had a period where I was partly employed by RNID and a big hats off to the leaders at that time, John mm. Lowe, who was chief exec my then boss they let me work part-time for them and I built up my my freelance business the last role I had at RNID I was their interim director of fundraising for about 14 months mm. with a proviso that I was going to leave because I wanted to to become totally freelance and I'd started working with Think as an associate and then eventually I joined Think as a staff member primarily because I wanted to set up their in the interim business that we have in Think mm -hmm. so that was my reason for going was to set up that part of the business. It's brilliantly Anyways. supportive of them to recognise that that's where you're going. Uh, we get the best out of you by allowing yeah. you to do it yeah, rather it than just letting yeah. you go. And I interestingly, because RNID didn't have a, and probably still doesn't now, now action on hearing loss, wasn't necessarily seen as a very sexy charity. Mm. The causal area was it's not, it's a, a not seen as a go-ahead charity. And actually, it was really go-ahead. So just a big shout-out to them. They were the first charity to do impact reporting. And they were really good about me having this mixed portfolio, mm. which back in the early two, yeah, 2007, I left there finally. I was there 2004 to 2007. They were incredibly flexible. And mm. I mean, that's over 10 years ago now. Fabulous. John Lowe's now, I think Sir John Lowe is now chief exec of CAF Charity Save Foundation. Oh, He's been yeah. there a number of years. But yeah. Yeah, anyway. interesting. No, that's fine. Uh, Francis, your, your career has been with Cancer Research UK through its entirety, through your whole career, is that right? Well, actually, not quite. Ah, um, okay. But actually, I did spend the first 13 years of my career at Cancer Research UK. And that was for a number of reasons, really. Firstly, I just loved working for the organisation, but they were also really brilliant at developing their people. So right. within that time, I had many different roles with the organisation. And I think uh, development is a two-way thing. I think I was a real hand raiser. I really believed in continuous learning. I was always, you know developing new skills but also the organization really got behind and back people that they really believed in mm. and so actually I had a brilliant brilliant career with them with many roles and then I got to a point actually where although I loved the organization there wasn't that next step for me so I left Cancer Research UK actually in 2007 and I went to be the fundraising director at Maggie's ah, okay. and I, I was there for about two and a half years mm. and that was wonderful because you go from you know this really big organization to really an organization that was was very small and was really growing and really evolving was incredibly innovative 
had a great vision, uh, and it was really brilliant to be at Maggie's at that time. So the difference between the experience I'd had at CIUK and Maggie's, and also for me, in all that we do in the sector, it's all about supporters. And at Maggie's, I was really, really close to our supporters. And I love that. And I really took that back to Cancer Research UK when I then returned you know, two and a half years later. Wow. And, and Michelle, you touched on it a little bit. And what it's something that comes up as a bit of a trend when we're talking to people about their early career is about those key individuals that kind of either gave you that step up, mm. gave you that opportunity, mentored you at the right time. Francis, just coming back to yourself, is there anyone in your career, is there pe- key people at certain times that kind of pushed you to go and take that role at Maggie's or said that if you want to develop, you need to go on and do that? Mm. Yeah, I think there's probably two or three people that I would really cite who were really, really instrumental in kind of being sponsors, I think. Mm. Uh, I didn't realise that at the time, but people like Richard Taylor, who was the fundraising director at Cancer Research UK, very early in my career, he really supported me and really backed me and really pushed me to do roles that, you know, you often think, oh my goodness, that's terrifying, I can't possibly do it, but Mm. Richard would really push you to do that. I think another person that I would cite is Tony Elisher, obviously, who was the founder of Think. So Tony was my mentor when I was fundraising director at Maggie's. Mm. And again, I don't know why I picked these mentors who just really, really pushed me and <laughs> challenged me and just made me feel really uncomfortable. But Tony was absolutely brilliant at just pushing you and pushing you all the time. And I'm really pleased now, actually, that I'm now a mentor for the Tony Elisher Foundation. And that's very much because Tony was a, a real... Uh, a real influence on me mm. and then I think the, probably the other big influencer has been our recent uh, chief executive Harpal Kumar yeah. at Cancer Research UK and again Harpal really really challenged me mm. and when I took this role four years ago to basically set up high value fundraising for Cancer Research UK never really been done in Cancer Research UK before it was a really pioneering area and again you know I always say to my team just go for roles that really really terrify you Mm. and that that role terrified me but I felt incredibly excited about it but again Harpal really really believed in me and really challenged me to take on that role so I would say the people who have influenced me have been the people who have really made me feel a bit terrified as well. I think you love it. I think you love the danger element. (laughs) The passion you're talking about it with. Yeah, Yeah. she sounds like she's comfortable being uncomfortable, right? If if that's possible. I do love a bit of a bit of a challenge. Bit of a challenge. I think as fundraisers we just want to push ourselves all the time Mm. and we want to do the new because we just want to do the best for our organizations. And that sometimes means going to different places, doing new things not totally knowing where that's going to take you, but that's where you see the best fundraising, and that's the type of fundraising that I really love. Mm. You touched on it there, the challenges that you faced through your career. Maybe, Misha, you've already, you've already touched on a couple there where you, you, you hit a ceiling and, and people wouldn't let you progress. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else in your career that really stands out as a big challenge for you? I think, yes, there is. So one of the, one of the challenges that I had when I moved into executive director roles so my first one was at the Museum of London and then Museum of Dockins and then when I was at RNID that was slightly different there because I was an interim one of the things that I found was that I was not at all able to play organisational politics it just didn't suit me and unfortunately I've, I've never sort of seen any different in my consultancy work among executive director teams there's always an element of playing those politics and if it's something that you're not able to do or you're really bad at then it makes you really unhappy 
because you just end up all the time being tripped over by people. So that was actually one of the reasons why I decided to move into freelance and into consultancy because I knew I could work at that level, but it made me really unhappy, really unhappy. And so it comes back to my point about the whole authenticity because Mm. one thing I've learned through my whole career is you have to be absolutely true to you and your value sets and you need to behave in a way that you're comfortable with not a way that an organization wants you to and if it's not if it's not right for you you should move because you see behind the scenes at the do more good podcast my goodness <laughs> <laughs> the machiavellian streak in this man unbelievable yeah. There, yeah, there we so go yeah, yeah so that's i'd say that's a, that that was that was the other main challenge really that I, personal challenge that i've had okay um i tend to I know it might sound a bit sort of naff, but I, I tend to think a lot of the time that challenges in terms of the content of work, that the actual, you know, well, how do we get around this fundraising problem or whatever, just become opportunities. Mm. You know, you have to just think your way around them. Mm. There's no point in just sitting there looking at it thinking, oh, we're stuck. You know, it's like, well, okay, let's think of a way around this, you know, over it, under it, round it, dig a hole through it, bore a hole through it, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I don't, I, I've never actually had any. I would say those types of challenges. It was more, it's more contextual for contextual, me. Contextual, yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. So look, I mean, we could sit here and talk al- all day long about your backgrounds and your history and your experience. But we, I guess we're here at the IOF Scotland conference, obviously. So we would like to talk a bit about your session that you're yes. giving within in the next couple of hours. Yes. But just before I jump into that, I did just want to put one more point about your early career. Because I think what's the personal development theme, I think, is something that runs again through the Do More Good podcast. It's quite prevalent here at the conference. It's obviously prevalent everywhere now. You talked about continuous learning. And I guess I'd like to ask you both what you do today to ensure that you continue to learn. Can you I talk about that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate because my role, particularly my role as MD, is almost all about continuous learning. So learning from clients. But I have the luxury that I am a big part of my role is reading reading internet stuff so I'm able to spend time doing that when I say to my clients you need to get your head into the external environment get away from your desk they're like well that's really easy Mish, for you to say and I'm like well actually yes it is because that's sort of a big part it's of your my job. role <laughs> yeah. so just absorbing information from anywhere and everywhere from the clients we work with from the think team the the all the online channels are just a revelation. I mean, when yeah. I started when I started work at Basildon Council, we had one computer for the entire team that was in the mm. corner. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, it was. And now you've just got constant information feeds. Um, yeah. And actually, I've learned a lot from my nephews and niece, who are all in their mid twenties down to eighteen. Because they they've given me lots of different feeds to have onto my phone and whatever um, because they'd be like oh Mish this has just happened I'm like how do you know that and then I was on the phone on the phone so yeah just constantly absorbing coming to conferences like this yeah um, I'm also fortunate because um, Think has operations in Canada yeah. so um, I go out there two or three times a year so it's another chance to just absorb what's going on in a different totally different fundraising market yeah. it came up at the yeah. awards last night in the in one of the speeches around the, the younger generation coming through and how we're inspired by those guys and they're going to totally. show us up aren't they totally it's going to get embarrassing yeah. totally yeah, <laughs> but yeah good for them totally. 
Yeah. What about yourself, Francis? How so do you I think there's a couple of things. One is I think as fundraiser, you learn every day. I mean, you know, I think every week I learn new things about how I work with, with supporters. So that's the first thing. Every day in this role you learn. But yep. in terms of kind of formal learning, I think there's sort of three things I'm thinking about. One is what's the ongoing formal learning that I need to do, you know, whether that's training or courses or whatever that might be. The second thing is one of the things that I do is every year I go and I, I meet with charities either in the UK or internationally. So we've just done a US study tour, for example. I was out with St. Jude in the States last year who are probably the US equivalent to Cancer Research UK just to learn about how they do things. Incredible organisation. And then we were out in Malaysia at the World Cancer Congress, so spending time with those charities. So actually just learning what everyone else in the world is doing and you know, sharing your ideas, learning from them is really important. And then I think the final thing is, because I work a lot with our high net worth, high value donors, corporate partners, etc., putting your your mind in in you know in their space if you like so mm. i tend to read what i think they read so i i you know i'm i'm reading the types of kind of whether it's whether it's articles or whether it's um you know the financial times yep. so it's what do i think yeah, our yeah, supporters yeah. are reading every single day and what's you know what's making them think so just trying to get into the heads of those people as well because yeah. you can say very much in your kind of your world can't you it's really important to get out of your world mm. and also uh, just a really fun thing i heard the other day one of our donors he's about 60 background is banking but he's currently, he decided he's going to do biomedical research degree. And I just thought, now what? that is wow. continuous learning. Yes, <laughs> that is continuous learning. I had, I had a friend of mine whose grandfather decided to learn Japanese at like 75. And it was just like, that's just amazing to think about applying yourself in that way. Can I just add something on Go the on. continuous development personal development means? Because this is, I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about this. I don't think the sector does enough to support its fundraisers in enabling them to, to pursue that. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the Institute going for charter status and hopefully getting it by the end of this year if we don't have a change of government and so the process will fall off the rails at that point is that once the Institute is chartered down mm. the line as individuals, as fundraisers, we will have to prove that we are um, following a CPD programme to be, be chartered, chartered members of a chartered institute. Mm. And so charities are going to have to make that investment as they should mm. because they invest in, in their you know their, their um, service delivery people and financial people, et cetera, et cetera, as does the commercial world. So fundraisers are scrabbling to even get to conferences at times. Yeah. So yeah. you're hopeful that will be a bit more structured going forwards? It will be really structured. It will have to be because otherwise the institute won't be, able, won't be yeah. able to maintain its status. So okay. there's a lot of work to be done to define what that exactly looks like. That's the then, you know, the getting the charter status for institute is the start of a bigger process. But yes, it will change. Okay. It will be well changed beyond all recognition. That leads us on quite nicely yeah, then, doesn't it, say, to your, to your session this afternoon. Great link there. So your session is our World of Work in 2029? Yes. Is mm. this what we're aiming for? Yes, it is. Can it you is. Just so should I just tell yeah, you Yeah, tell us a little bit more about it. and The, we'll the yeah. session is structured. We're, uh, the, the first part of it, um, I present, and I'm presenting 10 trends that myself and the Think team mm -hmm. have identified through research, reading all sorts of things, that by the time we get to 2029, we won't even be talking about them. 
Right. So we don't talk about the fact, you know, that we have a computer on our desk. When I said to you, my first job we were running <laughs> the office, you sort of looked at me. I was like, I was slightly mad. Um, no. So, we, so you know, you don't talk about the fact you've got a computer. You don't talk about the fact that you can get online or you yeah. could, you know, Zoom with someone in deepest, darkest Asia right at this moment. You, you know, that's all taken for granted. So these trends are things that at the moment everybody's going, oh, wowza. Oh, is that really going to happen? By the time we get to 2029... They will just be part of business as usual. Mm. We won't even be talking about them. Mm. They will just be part of the backdrop. What we see as these 10 trends, obviously it's an imprecise science, so, <laughs> you know, and they may yeah, not is there, is, there a globe, is there a crystal ball somewhere where you can actually see what it's going to be like? Or Unfortunately, no. If I no, had that crystal well, ball, I wouldn't be managing director, no. I think. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's, it's based on a lot of research that we've okay. done, though, and a lot of reading. And one of the key ones for me is around basically data and artificial intelligence and what the use of data is going to mean for the world of work mm. and what artificial intelligence is going to mean for the world of work. And when I first started the research, I was actually went through a sort of a period where I was really upset by it because I was like, well, there's going to be all these people that are dispossessed, all these jobs that will be done by robots or, you know, by an AI sort of logarithm, algorithm. But actually, um, all the research, wisdom, any authoritative body that you that, that has made a statement on it has said that AI in particular will create more jobs than it will destroy and the biggest problem is that we're not actually skilling people mm. to be able to take those jobs and do those jobs and it will also mean that the job that you do at the start of your career will definitely not be the job you're doing at the end of your career because you will need to continually reskill. Yes. So, yes, yeah, so that's one of the themes that we've got. So that's the first. We've got 10, ten different themes. I don't know if I should say it. Well, I oh, I, I don't know. Well, it's, this won't go out for weeks, so you can give us, give us it. We're going to okay, attend so the session the afterwards as well. The are data. Data connectivity drives greater insight. So mm -hmm. there's a whole piece around we collect data, but then actually what do we do with that data? How yeah. do we, we analyse it? And then how do we make business decisions based on that analysis? Because there's just so much data, so much that's going to be continually collected. The second one, I've got to remember that. Second <laughs> one is AI will pass the Turing test. Right. So by 2029, you won't be able to. At the moment, you know, when Alexa speaks to you, you know it's Alexa speaking yep. to you. If you get onto a sort of a chatbot or anything online, you know you're talking to a chatbot or a you know automated voice or whatever. By 2029, you won't know whether yeah. you're talking to a human or whatever. The power of the individual grows. So that's basically around the fact that individuals will be all powerful because they can do almost anything that have all this information at their fingertips can i just pick up on that on, on that point there you, so a lot of what you spoke about sounds quite scary quite intimidating mm. to an audience of potentially relatively young early people in their fundraising mm. careers Where, what's the promised mm. land the good piece of news is that one of the trends is that human-to-human -human connection will become a USP. Right. And that's because, basically, we will be surrounded by so much information that yes. can be at the touch of a button. We won't actually need our phones. By 2039, we won't need our phones. It'll all be done through wearables. So we'll be surrounded by so much tech that the ability to connect to another human being and have a conversation with a human being mm. will become a USP. Mm. And as a consequence, that's great news for charities because that's what we're really good at. Yeah. We're not good at the data stuff, but we're good at telling the stories. We're good at empathising. Let, let Topshop know. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And Francis, how in, in your role at Cancer Research UK, how is that kind of discussion? Are you, are you mm. thinking about 5, 10, 15 years in the future? Yeah, we're at an interesting point with Cancer Research UK because we're, we're literally about to think about our new long-term strategy. Right. And if you think about where science is now versus where... 
you know, we would have been even five or ten years ago. And particularly, you know, when you talk to scientists and you say what's made the difference mm. in research and in survival, it's technology. Mm. So the challenge for us is how do we now think about ten years out, given what we know in research right now versus what, what we might know in, in it one year's time. And that's a really exciting challenge for us. So we are thinking about all of these things. I think one of the things that I would say from today's session is what we'll show is that actually it's not just Cancer Research UK, but lots of charities are already being beginning to think about these trends. So mm. what we don't want is everyone to go away going, oh, oh, oh my God, <laughs> we're all doomed. Uh, what we're trying to bring to life is the fact that actually charities are already beginning to think about this and that's the big and the small charities. Yeah. You, you mentioned it there. That's quite interesting. Culturally, you guys are considering research, looking at the future. As a charity, you, you're focused on that, so maybe it's easier for you to, to do that, maybe than other charities who aren't quite so immersed in that. I, well, I, think, I think there is something in that, because if you think about how, if you think about AI, for example, so we're already, you know, the science community is already using AI to analyze data in just in, in an incredible way. And not actually, not just Cancer Research UK, but many other charities begin to use AI to do things that would have taken weeks, months, years, and can now take a day. Mm. So in some of those areas, we're, we're already seeing the benefits of that, uh, and technology is taking, there, taking us there. I think the challenge for fundraising is how do you, how do you match those two things? How do you meet, meet the fast pace of science? And of course, science is expensive. Mm. So how does fundraising meet the exciting opportunity that science brings? So you're always trying to marry those two things together. But I think we're seeing it, I say, not just in, in a large charity like Cancer Research UK, but I think we're seeing some of the smaller charities do really innovative things really? with some of the trends that we're going to talk about today. Oh. So I think uh, the message we'll, we'll, we'll give today is, you know, you don't need to be there yet, but it's coming and you need to think about, think about it. it. And you need to... You need to get the right things in place. One of the things we'll talk about is the importance of getting data, you know, the holy grail, getting your data right. Mm. And we all struggle with that in the sector. Mm. But if we were to do one thing, mm -hmm. you know, data is the key. Mm -hmm. we, know uh, that we know that's going to be the foundation for, if, if not already, it's going to mm -hmm. be the foundation mm -hmm. for everything anyway. Going Absolutely. Yeah. Because for whatever you want to do in the future, having that historical legacy of yes. great data mm. is going to stand to every charity in good stead. And you can do that whether you're a small charity or a large charity. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Jay but I'm excited. Quarter past two, great. we're on. Isn't yeah. that right? Quarter past two, you're on? We'll be past in two. there. That'll no, be quarter good. Past quarter past one. Quarter past one. Quarter past one. If we turn up at quarter past two, we'll be definitely one. in the future. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Well, look, we definitely look forward to that. I, I'm conscious of your time, but I just wanted to kind of start kind of summing up and wind up a little bit. You've been at the conference for the last day. Any highlights or any other sessions or any common themes that you're seeing at the conference this year that you'd, you'd like to mm. talk about? I really enjoy this conference. It's it's very different from convention. Mm. There's l lots of a small, smaller charity fundraisers here, so s lots of people that are working in solar situations. And I think for me, you know, having look, been at some of the sessions where people are delivering case studies on things they've done, I think there's some some great lessons on how you can do a lot with not very much. Really? Yeah. And that's I think it, this is not a criticism, but very often. The bigger bigger charities can get hung up in, and we need to be to pace with all this, all the sort of stuff we're going to talk about this afternoon. Yep. But smaller charities think, well, we can't, so we're just going to basically crack on and do what we can do, yeah. and actually can get a really brilliant result very quickly behind that. 
So I think I think sometimes small can be very beautiful, and there's mm. some lessons from small charities in terms of that. Well, we're just going to do what we can do, yeah. and also we're going to do it quickly. Yeah. Small charities tend if a so if mm. somebody's working as a solace fundraiser, well they just have to get they just on have with to get it. and do it. Yeah, they exactly. Got to get it signed mm. off, they, there's no one to generally sign it off for them. Mm. So no. I think that that speed piece and and the fact that yeah you can actually deliver a lot with not very much. Yeah, yeah, I uh, would yeah. I would agree with that. I think that's really come through from this conference. And you know I love being up in Glasgow because I used to work at Maggie's and you know we were based up here, so I kind of feel I've I've come <laughs> home. But also, do you know what I've really loved is, I, th- I feel, and I feel this in the sector as well, that refocus back onto the supporter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've been driven for years through things like, you know, individual giving, which are such an important part of our fundraising base. Mm-hmm. But I do think we're having a bit of a reset to really think about our supporters, and that can only be a good thing. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, I'd, I'd echo your comments. I think the, the conference has been fantastic. It feels very much like it's not too big. It's the right size. It feels very kind of family, kind of everyone supporting each other. And as we know, that's a really critical part in terms of fundraising and definitely for those yeah. sole fundraisers. I, I think it's, it's interesting for me because, again, part of, the, in a way, the privilege of my role is that I get to go to, to all see, these conferences. Yes. I think... Actually, a lot of the Scottish fundraisers here would benefit from a couple of days at convention, and similarly, mm. some people yeah. at convention yeah. would benefit for coming up here. Mm. We're not that still not that good at that cross fertilisation. We're running in geographical like lanes. Yeah. And there's well, we you talked be. earlier about breaking out and going to see some big businesses and seeing how they work and taking yeah. lessons from them. And just as you said, coming back from Maggie's, you brought mm. lessons from other Absolutely. organisations, but even wider than that, let's go and talk to the, yeah. for you guys, probably heading off to Google, talk to the big tech firms yeah. about what they're planning and then yeah. bring that back to your presentation for, yeah. for the next round. Yeah. yeah. What's been your highlight, James? Uh, my highlight, I think, was the sing-song at the end of the disco last night. <laughs> I think yeah, you're you using was both of your dance moves in one go. Was oh impressive. really? Yeah, that was uh, that was my highlight. Oh, I'll How about take you? That. Um, I think for me, probably the focus on personal development. I kind of seen that as a bit of a common theme through this, which I think mm. is really important. And we've touched on it a little bit today about you know fundraisers going about their day job and being relentless in in it and having that impact. And but they should also think about themselves and think about how do they get progress, develop, learn grow yeah. yeah i'd really agree with that because one of the the, the ethos that we have within my team at ci uk is creating the conditions to mm. enable fundraisers to thrive and that's about the way that they, they work the way that we support and develop them and actually how do we enable our fundraisers to be as successful as they possibly can and as i said earlier that's a two-way thing but there's a real responsibility to us to make sure that they can be the best they can be in their role and personal development's a really critical part of that Perfect. Well, look, we can probably begin to wrap it up. We have got some quick-fire questions that we normally chuck in at the end. So we've got three of them, so we'll, we'll, we'll chuck them both to, to both of you. First okay. one is, if you could transport yourself back in time to meet your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? Francis, you go first. I would say absolutely believe in yourself, and you are much more brilliant than you possibly think you are. And do those things that terrify you. Yes, yeah, I like that. And mine would be, it's actually okay to make mistakes. Mm. It's actually okay to go down a path, realise you're in the wrong path and say, I'm in the wrong path and I need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. Uh, Question number two. Can you tell us about one life hack or productivity tool, habit or skill that you have taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? 
Okay, mine's a bit of a weird one. <laughs> Weirder the better. <laughs> so I live in Leeds and I work in London. Right. So I have aimed to compartmentalise my life. So in the week I work and uh-huh. at the weekend I'm family. And I now and again there's a bit of a, a blur, but broadly I try and separate those two things. And honestly, that keeps you sane. That's it. Someone else was talking about that maybe at conference. I can't. How, how do you do that just out of interest? Because I think that's something I know personally I, I struggle with quite a lot to compartmentalise. I wish I was better at it for the benefit of my family and children, etc. But yeah. I'm just interested, how do you... So when I'm in London, mm. uh, so I work in London four days a week. And mm. when I'm Lon- in London, I am on. I'm at work. I work long hours, you know, get the job done. Because, you know, six o'clock, Friday... I want to spend time with my family. Now and again, I say, if you need to do urgent things, you do. But I think, for me, I made a choice to do this role yes. and to have that lifestyle. But I don't want my family to suffer as a result. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on at work in the week and I'm on with them at the weekend. Does it help to have two distinct locations for that? So your Leeds or London and that's, there's the line across the middle. I think it does. Yeah, But I think it's also a state of mind because we're all, you know, we're all guilty of those kind of Sunday... Sunday afternoon emails. Yeah. <laughs> so, but trying not to do that, I think, is really important. The other thing we do, actually, at Cancer Research UK is we try not to do emails in the evening unless mm. they're urgent. Mm. Because you can get into a culture of everybody emailing all night and back to creating the conditions to, to thrive and be successful. That's really worked for us. So if it's urgent, you do, but don't if not. Is, is email here to stay in the mm. future, 2029? Are we going to be emailing each other? Or will we Just be, be thinking about what we want to yeah. talk to. That'd be dangerous. <laughs> It'll be, cu- be coming onto our wearables. Yeah. Yeah. Mish, we we'll go back to you then in terms of your productivity hack or anything, any so tool or... Mine's I, I, mine is that you need to make use of all the technology that's around you. Mm. So I'm 53. I don't make any <laughs> anything about my age at all. I'm quite comfortable with my age. And I think I'm quite with it, with some of the technology. But just very recently, you are going to laugh and so were your listeners. I finally downloaded a board a plane boarding pass onto my phone instead of printing <laughs> it out wow it has been a revelation yeah because i've been flying every week for the last five weeks it has been and, and i'm like why on earth <laughs> have you been resisting this you stupid woman so for me it's actually come on me come on you know get on with this technology just yeah. get on with it and don't make stupid excuses like well what if my phone runs out of power <laughs> you've got that your genuinely back genuinely nearly happened to me when i was up in scotland i was trying to find a plug point in yeah. glasgow airport but they're so everywhere now because yeah. the world yeah. is so yeah, so the broader message is just go with it just yeah. go with it because actually it makes your life so much easier. I, I want to talk about some uh, one that, that I've started using recently, actually, that was mentioned on a podcast a few few weeks ago. It's an app called Spill. I don't know if you've come across this. So it's um, it's a subscription service that companies can provide to their staff. And I, my company doesn't provide it. I actually contacted them directly. But it's basically a journal stroke counseling app for your phone that you actually can talk in real time to a counselor about your challenges and so they prompt and they ask you once a week about how things going what's your day been like and it's just that constant there in your phone where you can kind of get that support and actually so far we We are giving it a go yeah i've only just signed up we've just started so i've got nothing really much more than that to say but we'll maybe we'll stay on top of it and we'll report back yeah i think it's really interesting 
Cool. So last question before we let you go. So there's a podcast that focuses on people doing more good. What's your favorite story or inspiring individual fundraiser, beneficiary that you've met on your journey who has done something good for others? I'm going to go with this one first. <laughs> I'm, again, very fortunate to get and interview lots of people. Three weeks ago, I was doing a piece of work for a client and they asked me to interview one of their volunteers who's uh, uh, raising money for one of their sites. So I was on the phone to this Scottish man. It was the most... He must have been uh, well into his 70s. Mm. He was so inspiring. I actually wanted to leave the client's office and go to wherever he was, <laughs> which was in the middle of nowhere in Scotland, somewhere remote in Scotland. And he actually said to me... I said to him, well, you obviously get a lot out of your volunteering. He said to me, well... You can either sit by the fire and decide to die, wait until you die, or you can get on and use everything you've learned in your life to benefit nice. other people. And I was just like, I want to bottle you. I'm yeah. so you. I'm so inspired, yeah. and I'm hoping when I get to retirement that I will be able to do do be in that mindset. The, it was just amazing, amazing. Yeah. So yeah, he was a volunteer who was working. He volunteered at one of the this organisation's sites, and he was also fundraising. Wow. Um, it's quite a high-profile um, heritage site in in Scotland, and he was just unbelievable. That's brilliant. Unbelievable. Nice. And Francis, I can see you've been racking your brains, and you know what? This question is a hard one because it's, if you start thinking about it so much, you just think there's too many people. It yeah. almost has to be that. Do you know what? I really struggle because um, in my career, I have met. I mean, so many amazing people. Yeah. So, for example, at Cancer Search UK, you know, our, our legacy was our hundreds of groups and committees, some of whom have been with us for 60 years. Wow. You know, they started when they were 18 or 20 years old. Mm. And, you know, they've raised hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds. And I think about all of those people and all of those committee chairs and the stories of why they originally set up 60 years ago. And it's always a really sad story or a really, you know, really happy and inspiring story. So I'm struggling to think. I mean, I think that that this is the, the best bit of the job, that you meet those people every yes. day. It's where we get our energies as, energies as fundraisers. Yeah. But I'm going to have to come back to you on that one because there are so many. We'll leave that one for people. episode two of you Do guys. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it for your, for your honesty and, and openness. If anyone wants to kind of get in touch or hear more from you, where, where could they find you, for example? Are you on, on Twitter? Do we yes, do social I'm media? I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn and obviously right. through the, the Think website. So, yeah, yeah I am on Twitter. Um, my handle is um, at is M-I-C-H-E, capital C. So, at Mishi C. Let <laughs> <laughs> But yes, you can f you can easily find but we'll me. find you, you on find, find you on Twitter. Website. Thank Perfect. you for inviting us to, to be on the podcast. It's welcome. been great. No worries. Francis, how about you? Yeah, LinkedIn is the place. LinkedIn place, okay. the place to, to go. go. Yeah. And yeah. if they want to see you in person, is are we talking about the future? Where are you guys next on on tour? <laughs> well, we haven't got we haven't got any the O2? confirmed dates yeah. yet. Um, <laughs> so getting quick Wembley. if you want if you want yeah. the yeah. Beyonce Kylie of the conference world. Yeah. We're yeah. available for commissions, aren't we? We really are. Yes. Well, hope it goes really well. Thank Perfect. You. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram. At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk.